this week and next week and probably the one after that, maybe the one after that and possibly even the one after that, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, they're not going to be feel-good messages. You are not going to walk out of here like, boy, I am so just, I feel so good about myself and our country and just mankind. Uh, so I'm telling you, these are not feel-good sermons. But here's my goal. I hope we can honestly say they're going to be Bible sermons. Bible sermons, that's our goal. Um, I thought there was a chance that we would be looking at verses 18 to 32 this morning. Uh, we're going to read all of 18 to 32, but we're going to split the passage actually and uh, look at verses 18 to 23 this morning and 24 to 32, Lord willing, next week. But I really, for us to get the context of today's message, we, we need to read both the one, the one section. It is really one section we're going to split. We need to read it all in one setting to kind of get the context. And here's what I want you to get. I'm getting ready to read it in just a second, and hopefully we'll be hanging on every word the Holy Spirit has written to us. But here's what I want you to get before we read. What happens at the end of today's passage is a result of what happens in the first part of today's passage. What ha if I could boil it down, what happens in verse 18 and verse 24 to 32 is a result of what's going to happen in verse 21, 22, and 23. So kind of be looking for those things. Kind of answering this question, how in the world do we get where we are? Now let's see what the Bible has to say. Verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So the wrath of God is revealed, it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, our stance toward God, a wrong stance, and unrighteousness, a wrong stance toward each other, of men. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men. Men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is going to be a key thought. I'm not going to have time to really dig in here, but you need to listen, catch this. When we are living in unrighteousness, we are suppressing truth. Truth will be there right in front of us, but living in unrighteousness will cause us not to recognize it as truth. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, men, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Is there something going on outside? Or? Oh, I, I, I hear. All right. Verse 20. Let me back up. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived clearly perceived since when ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so these invisible attributes of God can be seen in the things he's made so they are without excuse who's they men for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened as if that wasn't enough, verse 22, claiming to be wise, that's where we find a lot, of a lot of us today, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. So we're not going to worship the creator, we're going to worship man. 
That's what happens when you get wise in your own eyes, when really we become foolish. How's that happen? We turn away from God. Verse 23 again. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So really, verse 21, 22, 23 leads to the following section. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed. This is, this is crazy. Verse 27. Here's the judgment of God. Here's the wrath of God being revealed. What's going on? The women are no longer having natural relations and natural feeling. And it, in verse 27, the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing, not just having the passion, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, all manner, and evil, covetousness, malice. That means want to hurt somebody, want damage to be done, want them to feel pain. That's what malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife. Okay, is this the news or is this the Bible? They are full of envy, murder, strife, fighting, arguing, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to, to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, though they know that, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Not only do we do these things, but we like watching others and we approve of others that do those. Man, people will pay money to watch sin. Not only to do sin, but they like watching other people be sinful. Have y'all turned on the television lately? You ever wondered, how did we get where we are? We are absolutely in a mess today. I told you this isn't going to be a feel-good sermon. This is just going to be the truth. Our country is it's like, what's going on? I'm 47. This is pretty much the worst I remember it being. Those of you that are older, maybe you remember a worse time than this. And the Bible predicts, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse I want to propose to you for a nation to reach the depths and the depravity that we see today in America a couple of things have to happen one it has to do away with God's decrees I got to do away with that and the best way to do away with God's decrees is I just need to do away with God because listen guys there are abominable things happening right now in our country happened Saturday night last night you don't want to, we can't even speak of them. Literally, the Bible says, do not speak of the things that they do in darkness. In our country, not only is it happening, but it's all out of the closet and it's celebrated. Let's get together and celebrate sin. That's where we're at. 
that's where we're at in our country. And it doesn't happen overnight. You say, how did this happen? Verse 21, 22, and 23 leads to verses 24 to 32. And that's where I wanted, what I wanted to get us to get this week. Three things in our message this morning out of this passage. Uh, number one, if you read it ten times, I always like to ask myself, if someone read this passage ten times, you couldn't miss verse number 18. Look with, look with me if you would, first point this morning. The fact of God's wrath. The fact of God's wrath. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The fact of God's wrath. I got to tell you, my favorite subject to preach on is the grace of God. I love it. But I've determined if I'm going to be an honest preacher, I have to tell the other side of the story. I remember about 15 years ago sitting at someone's kitchen table and a man who had been in the ministry previously was no longer in the ministry telling me that he believed the Bible and the parts that had to do with heaven, but literally he didn't believe in hell. And I remember thinking, what? He said, oh yeah, I believe that. Why do you believe in heaven? Because the Bible. And I said, why don't you believe in hell? Because I just don't think that God would... Do you see what happened? I don't think we get to pick and choose. I like this part, so I'm going to keep that part. And I don't like that part, and so I'm going to throw that part away. We're living in America today where a lot... This is true. A lot of people who would call themselves Christians don't believe in the wrath of God. I, I just don't see God that way. Others who do believe in the wrath of God, and they too would say they're Christian, and very well may be, but listen to me, they're embarrassed by the wrath of God. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want this message this morning preached in their church. If I invite somebody and they get up and he goes off preaching on that, oh, he is embarrassing me. They don't want to think about the wrath of God. And that's where we're at as a country. Why? What's going on? The church and America as a whole this morning is ignorant of Scripture. It is ignorant of Scripture. And I'm going to put the blame mainly where it goes. When people don't read the Bible for themselves and know what the Bible says, here's what ends up happening. They trust what the preachers say. You say, well, why do we have a biblically illiterate America? Because people have been led astray by selective preaching. You say, right, heretical preaching. I didn't say it's heretical. I'm saying it's selective they choosing the, they're choosing the parts that they like, and I'm going to focus on that, and I'm never going to preach on that. You know how you can do that? Always be preaching on topics. And this topic and that topic, don't dare go through a book of the Bible because if you go book by book, you're going to encounter the wrath of God against sin. It won't take long. It took us just 18 verses. You see what I'm saying? So we don't want to do that. Uh, people, that's a negative message. I believe the best thing we can do for people is to be honest with us. J.I. Packer wrote the following quote, and we'll take a few notes in a moment. I'll share the beginning of what he had to say. He writes the following, quote, To an age which has unashamedly sold itself to the gods of greed, pride, hear these, sold itself, this age, to the gods of greed, pride, sex, and self-will. You're like, man, that guy sounds like he knows America. Actually, he wrote this in 1973, 44 years ago, and he's British. But it sounds like he knows America today. Here's the quote. To an age which has unashamedly sold itself to the gods of greed, pride, sex, and self-will, the church mumbles on about God's kindness, but says virtually nothing about his judgment. And then he lists several reasons why if we just ignore the wrath of God against sin, 
Well, that comes with some consequences. If you want to take these notes down, write these down. What are those consequences? Packer offers number one. We will not truly know God. You say, well, I want to know God. But if you just lop off whole sections of Scripture that talk about God's wrath towards sin, you're never going to really know God. That would be like saying, hey, Jeff, tell me all about yourself. And off I go, and you're like, well, listen, I really don't want to know about you growing up in North Carolina. Kind of tell me some other stuff. And I start talking about Deanna. Well, listen, I really don't want to know the parts about Deanna. Just tell me about yourself. Dude, that's my story. You can't take Deanna out of my life and, and, and where I grew up in North Carolina. You can't take that out of my life and say you want to know. Uh, God, tell us about yourself. We don't want to know that part, God. We, we just want to know these other. Okay, You're going to get a distorted view. You want to know the true God? You have to include this. Secondly, he says, if we just ignore the wrath of God, we'll not understand the gospel of salvation. We'll not understand the gospel of salvation. Salvation, saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. Thirdly, we'll not appreciate the achievement of the cross. One famous preacher, correctly, I believe, words talks about how the cross of Jesus Christ is the blazing center of God's glory. Y'all do know that it, it's all about what happened there 2,000 years ago, right? What happened on that cross and the resurrection that followed, but it has to be put in a context of what happened there has to do with the wrath of God against sin. If we ignore the wrath of God, we'll have no true wonder at the love of God. I don't know if you've ever been here. God, how do you have so much wrath towards sin and yet you still love me that's an amazing thing he says we will not understand the hand of God in history I'll admit to you I've done this before I'm not ashamed this is not an indictment against this Bible but it, I forget what it was just the other day I don't know if it was in Leviticus or Numbers I was reading something I remember thinking Lord that is not only not politically correct but I remember thinking I don't like that but I have to remember God is wrathful towards sin and he does some things in history that only make sense when you really put it in total context. Another consequence is we'll not understand the present dealings of God. Lord, why is that happening? Really, the theologians, the ones who know the language behind the English here, which I do not, I'll take their word for it, they say when the Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed, here's what it means. The wrath of God is being revealed. It is always being revealed. Lord, why is that happening and that and that? And why are you allowing that, guys? Because of the wrath of God. One last one. He says, if we just ignore the wrath of God, we will lack urgency in our evangelism, and that's true of Jeff. I lack urgency when I don't remember that God's wrath is hanging over mankind at any point. Sorry to keep you so busy here. I know that half of your whole front side of your handout is this first point, and it's these two lists, but I, I felt that, that I needed to include this. So I'm going to jump right into another thing of another author. And I like to give them credit if I'm going to steal their stuff, right? It's not stealing if I give them credit for it. In John MacArthur's study Bible, which you should get a copy of, did you catch that? See, I'll slip that in there right quick. He lists several ways God's wrath is revealed. How is God's wrath revealed? Number one, eternal wrath. How do we know that God really is wrathful? Hell is real. There's a hell. It is there right now. There are people in hell. And that is not something we say gleefully. That is something we say brokenly. And, and when we picture people or loved ones, it's, it just cuts us. But that should cause the urgency to come out on a Wednesday night to learn how to share my faith so I can go tell people that while I still have a chance. Because once you leave this world, it is too late. There's no going back. The lake of fire. He refers to eschatological wrath. You say, I remember you preaching about that back when you were in Psalm 93. What does that have to do with? 
it's the final day of the Lord. I don't know if you guys have done this, but if you'll read through the scriptures and you'll read about the day of the Lord, you don't want to be here when it happens. Real things will take place. It's a bad, bad time for mankind. He talks about cataclysmic wrath. Catastrophes take place, like the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. If we could really take a, a snapshot of that, it's not a cute little thing to put on a child's flannel graph. Oh, look, here's the boat and here's the water. There were people dying and panicking and they're running and trying to save their kids and they're running to the highest point and climbing up in trees. And, the, and we're saying, that, yeah, all this rain fell, but really more than anything, this upheaval of the, the waters, the fountains of the great deep just broke forth. Why is God doing this? Because of his wrath towards sin. There's the wrath of the cross. Those of you that were here Wednesday night, we ask about who is Jesus? Who remembers the best one-word answer? Who is Jesus? The best one-word answer. Jesus is God. What do you have on the cross? You have God. That's Jesus hanging on the cross. You have God forsaken of God. God forsaken by God. Jesus always, read the, read the New Testament, always father this. When you pray, say our father. He prays father continuously. I think it's some 25 times. Even on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. At the very end, Father, into thy hand, I commend my spirit. But there's a section when the darkness came. And he did not call God his Father because God the Father did not look at him and his son because he took our sin upon himself. He paid for all our sin. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have God forsaken of God. God turns his back. I hate what you are right now. And he punishes him. Yeah, we make a big deal about spikes and the hands and the feet and a pierced side and a crown of thorns as well we should because we can relate with that. What we don't understand is the wrath of God on sin. That's the real issue of the cross. That's why Jesus was struggling so in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have consequential wrath. So what's that? Some don't like this point. Some of the theologians, they say it's not God necessarily being involved. I, I think all of the ones we've looked at, God is, is definitely involved. But guys, God also sets up laws. Here are the laws. Here's God's laws. If you sow cucumber, guess what you're going to expect to reap? Cucumber. So you plant tomato plants, you should be reaping tomatoes. If you do that, that's going to happen. Sowing and reaping. Say, so what does that have to do with God's just set up some laws. If we're gluttonous in food or drink, it's going to have bad consequences. We read about something that we'll probably touch on next week, maybe even the week after. We'll see how the Lord leads. Please understand, I'm not saying that every person that has AIDS is a homosexual. I am not saying that. I know about blood transfusions and, and potentially um, mother's milk and all of those things, and they're still studying it, and we're going to learn more and more. But I honestly, in my heart, when the Bible says they received in themselves the due penalty for their error, I believe AIDS, that's largely what it is. And I know that's not politically correct, and some of you may say, yeah, okay, that actually, we may look at that. You don't work? What's the Bible say? You don't eat. Are there people this morning in Anderson County that don't have enough to eat? Am I saying that everyone who's lacking food is a, is a result of, of them not working? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying many who don't have enough to eat, it's because they just don't want to work. They could, but they don't want to. And that's not being mean. And then one we'll talk about next week, I believe, is this last one. You say, oh, that one's a lightweight one. Actually, it's not. It's the wrath of abandonment. 
What is that? That's where God removes restraint and lets people go deeper into their sin. And that's a whole message. Because that's what you read in verses 24 to 32. You want your sin? God says, fine, I will give you your sin and I will back off. Just leave me alone, God. Okay, I'll give you what you want. And that in itself is punishment. Verse number 18 says, for the wrath of God. Listen, it's the wrath of God. It's not like our wrath. God's wrath is not the wrath of man. And I know a lot of, of well-meaning, well-intentioned, listen, sophisticated Christians. I just can't picture God as a wrathful God. I can't picture his face all red and that big blue vein in the forehead that we get. And I, I, That is so not God. It's God's wrath. If I could offer this to you, I would say that God's wrath is not capricious. It's not impulsive. It's not uncontrollable outburst against people that God hates or that God, you know, has, has these, this just, again, disdain and hate for. That's not what God's anger is. It's not a fit of frustration because God failed or he couldn't accomplish his desire. You say, it's, listen, God is not right now slamming doors and throwing dishes and pots and pans in heaven. That is not what's going on. That's what we do because we're frustrated. God's omnipotent. You say, if it's not that, like us, and that is very ugly, then what is the wrath of God? God's wrath is a settled, measured, predetermined response against sin. It's this. I'm not going to yell and scream. I don't have to. All I'm saying is when you do that, this is the response. It's automatic. You do that, this has to happen. The wage of sin is death. You do that, you're going to receive that. I'm not going to huff and puff. I'm not going to do Listen, I've just determined I will exterminate sin. I will punish sin. I cannot have sin. God has to. Verse number 18, to finish the thought there, the Bible talks about men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Two things. Catch this, and we're going to the second point after this. Listen carefully. When we allow unrighteousness, when we allow unrighteousness in our lives, number one, it incurs the wrath of God. Number two, it suppresses truth. How do people end up, what happens in verse 21 to 23? How do people end up when what happens, verse 20, 24 to 32? How does that happen? Because people will see truth but choose to live in unrighteousness. And the more we live in unrighteousness, can I offer this word to you? It, it atrophies our soul. Our very soul shrinks and shrivels and gets weaker and weaker, and we suppress. It's like trying to drown someone under the water. I'm going to hold it down under the water. There, there. And that's what we do. When we live in unrighteousness, we're taking the obvious light of truth, and we're stifling it down because I don't want to deal with what it has to say. When we live in unrighteousness... We are atrophying our own soul. You don't want to go down that road. Number two. Second thought this morning is the revelation of God's attributes. The revelation of God's attributes. Verse number 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? I want to offer you two thoughts. Number one. Because I'm going to propose to you that everyone who comes into the world, all people, it's the light that came into the world is the light that lights every man. What is it? Everyone knows about God. Everyone that comes into the world knows about God. How? They have a conscience. We all have a conscience. You say, what does that mean? 
God has wired every human being with an innate knowledge of himself. Not everything about God, but an awareness of God. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. You're here live, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're listening to this later, driving down the road, do not close your eyes. But I'm going to ask you guys right now, would you close your eyes? I'm going to borrow a, a quote. Everyone, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Close your eyes. I'm going to borrow a quote from, again, John MacArthur. He writes the following. You'll see why I have you close your eyes. Quote, a disease left Helen Keller as a very young girl without sight. Keep your eyes closed. Picture it. You're Helen Keller. This disease left Helen Keller at a very young age without sight, hearing, so you have no hearing, and speech. I wondered, surely she has an inner language, right? It's not other people's languages, but she has human thoughts. I don't know what's going on in there. I have no idea how this lady named Ann Sullivan ends up doing what she does. It is so out of my league. But it continues. The disease left her without sight, hearing, and speech. But through Ann Sullivan's tireless and selfless efforts... Helen finally learned to communicate through touch. She can communicate through touch and even learn to talk. Keep your eyes closed. That blows my mind. She learns by feeling things, what they mean, and learns how to move her vocal cords to talk. And so sure enough, he writes, when Miss Sullivan first tried to tell Helen about God, the girl's response was that she already knew about him, just didn't know his name. Open your eyes. Where'd that come from? Now, Helen, however she's related, I need to tell you about God. I already know about him. What's his name? <laughs> it's in there. God has already shown it to us. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. But then it also gives us another way that God has shown it to them. Psalm 19, very famous. Last night I went out just to look in the yard. Psalm 19, look at verses 1 through 4. I believe they'll be on the screen. Creation. Conscience, creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens, they're shouting at us. They declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's knowledge out in the nighttime, guys. You ought to go look. There's knowledge. God speaking. Verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. I believe one of the things that we, and I, I believe as a Southern Baptist partner church that one of the things we're doing through the International Mission Board is trying to get people, missionaries, into unreached people groups so they can go in there, learn the language. It's going to take a while to do this. Learn the language and then translate the Bible from the original languages into those people's languages and give them dictionaries and grammar books and show them how to study the Bible so they can receive the gospel and start telling each other about the gospel. That's one of the things that needs to happen. But let me tell you something. Creation needs no translation. Creation literally speaks of a creator in every language of man. It's out there. We're born knowing about God. We see creation. The result is back in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. The end line, so they are without excuse. They're without excuse. 
Can we have the Acts passage? Everyone look at this. Look what the Bible says in Acts. Here's Peter preaching to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. He's very bold. He just told them that they have killed the Messiah. They killed the Christ. Verse number 11 of Acts chapter 4, Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. You rejected Jesus, but this is the stone which has become the cornerstone. And that's not all. Hey, how did you heal this man, Peter? Is this your power? No, he's healed by the name of Jesus. No, by the way, Jesus that you rejected, he's the cornerstone of the whole structure of God's family, God's house to be made up of the saints. And in verse 12 is key. The Bible says, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as an apostle of Jesus Christ, says, and there is salvation in no one else. Uh-oh, this presents a problem. Because if we're thinking Christians, wait a minute, the Bible just says they're without excuse, but here the Bible says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, men by which we must be saved. We can only be saved through Jesus. We can only be saved through Jesus. Believing in God is not enough. Wait, we, we couple that with what Jesus says in John 14, verse 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father. You want to go to heaven? You can't go to the Father but by me. This isn't Old Testament anymore. You want to go to heaven? It is only through me. Uh-oh, this presents a real problem. The Bible says they're without excuse, but we know that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. But we also know there are two billion people who've never heard the name Jesus. They've never heard Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They've never heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They've never read Romans. What about these people? And thinking people get real critical and they put God on trial and they accuse him of being unfair. God, it is not fair for you to condemn, I'm not saying this in a bad way, I'm just using it factually, ignorant, they don't know, they've never heard Jesus. Ignorant pagans who've never heard the gospel you cannot send them to the same hell that you send people who reject the gospel week after week after week after week okay I can kind of understand that but these people have never even heard one time God you're not fair I want to propose to you that the Bible is clear they're without excuse why because the heavens declare the glory of God Jeff you can't get saved by just looking at nature I agree the Bible says God has made himself plain to them. Jeff, God does not innately put in people a knowledge of how to be saved through Jesus. Somebody has to tell them, I agree. I want to propose to you, this to you. As we get to chapter 2, we'll probably use this again. In my heart, I honestly believe if a person shuts out the light of conscience and creation that God gives to all mankind, then they can't complain when God does the, give them more light. Because really, to give more light, they're not responding correctly to the light God's given them. So God not giving them more light to sin against is almost merciful. If you want to write out to the side, Acts 8, Acts 10, go study it. Really think about it. I'm going to propose to you two men who I believe are examples of what I'm describing here. In Acts 8, there's a man from Ethiopia. He's from Africa. And he ends up being exposed to the truth of there's a God, Jehovah, and he learns some Jewish truths, right? He learns about the Jews. He even goes to Jerusalem. He, he even does so much, they have some money enough to buy an Isaiah scroll. I don't know how much he knew about Judaism. Maybe he tried to be a Jew, but they rejected him because he was a eunuch. He was physically not qualified. He could not become a Jew. 
And so this man, though, is responding correctly to the amount of light that God has given him, so much so that he's on his way. He's in the desert, headed back to Africa, and he's reading an Isaiah scroll. I'm going to tell you, he is responding correctly to the light that God has given him. And God stops Philip, the evangelist, one of the first deacons, from being in a revival in Samaria and has Philip leave many getting saved to go all the way down here to win the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Hey, man, what you reading? I'm reading Isaiah. What, what part you in? Well, it's about this lamb who's being slain, and, and by his stripes we are healed. If I could just figure out who the lamb is, scoot over, buddy, I'll tell you who the lamb is. You know what's happening here? He's responding to the light that he's been given. He hasn't been given the full gospel. God sends him someone to give him the gospel. Chapter 10 of Acts, we find Cornelius, a centurion. We preached on him back in November, I believe it was. What do you have going on? Cornelius, he's in the land of the Jews. God's moved him from Rome over to the land of the Jews. He's heard about Judaism, but something still just seems empty. He hasn't gone full throttle on that. He's still studying now. He's even praying. Twice it refers to his prayers in that chapter. God. It, it, and I'm paraphrasing. Lord, if there's something I'm missing, please show it to me. And God sends Peter all the way to Cornelius' house to give him the gospel. And by the way, when those two guys heard the gospel, they received the gospel. So I'm going to tell you what I believe. What's the answer? Is God unfair? In my heart, I believe that if someone who has never heard the gospel, those two billion people, if they will respond correctly to what God has already revealed of himself in creation and conscience, I honestly believe God will send them a missionary. They may not think they're a missionary. They may know they're a missionary. But God will send them a missionary who will give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be you. It might be you. You say, well, it's not me. I know what I'm doing in life. Or it's not me. I'm too old. It might be you. It might be me. But God's watching Hey, why are these missionaries going? Because God has people there that are going to get saved. Verse 20, look at it quickly. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In the things that have been made. you catch that? Two quick points. Catch this. Number one, your work says a lot about you. Your work says a lot about you. What does your work say about you? Do you do a good job? Do you plan what you're going to do? Do you do the least you can do? Or do you say, I like to do my best. I kind of like to plan it. I like to get the things I'm going to need. I like to organize them. Then when I do it, I want to do my best, and I want to get a finished product. And, and even when I'm finished, I'm still not finished till, till I, I get everything put back in the right spot, right? We're going to clean up after we've done it because I, I like to do a third. Y'all don't do this. Y'all don't. You ladies don't do this. You don't get that little wand and the little thing on the end and the bathroom and clean all in the toilet bowl and then just kind of leave it sitting in the middle of the floor, right? No, that would say something about you if you do that, right? If you go and you spray and you get the paper towels and you wipe and you just leave a big pile of paper towels in the middle of the bathroom, that would say something about you. No, we're going to do the whole thing. Why? Because our work says something about us. God's work says something about him. What do we learn? Last night I went out from your perspective. I looked up and there's this big ball in the sky and this whole half, probably about 60% of it was lit up which tells me the sun is over there. So there's this moon that's spinning and it's going around and then we're spinning and it's going around us and we're going around this big old sun and we can learn things by looking at that. And then we can look past just not our one star, we can realize there's billions and billions of stars and we can learn things about God 
And then we look at the human body and we study the eyes and the ears and the circulatory system and the digestive system and the respiratory system and the reproductive system. And we start studying all these things. We, I don't know how accurate or how, how up to date this is. This is a man-made word, word, but they tell us there are some 10 million species, that's man-made, not a Bible word, 10 million species of insects. That tells us something about God. Verse number 20, verse 19, the Bible says, for what can be known about God. Can I tell you this? Creation doesn't say everything about God, but it talks about some very specific things. Just go out tonight and look. It's not raining. And go out in the night and look in the day and just go out and walk through the fields. And when you're drinking your coffee tomorrow morning, listen very carefully again if it's not raining. They, they sing at my house. These birds are just chirp in the morning. Sometimes I stop and say, Lord, just thank you. One, that they're out there, and two, that I can hear them. That's cool. What does it say? It doesn't say the whole story about the creator, covenant-making God, but it says much about his existence. God, you are, you exist. It says much about his eternality. God, you are an eternal being. I don't have time to develop this, but I want to throw this at you very quickly. Eternity past is a real problem for evolutionists. Let's say it again. Billions and billions of years, they run to that quickly. But make them deal with eternity past. Eternity. Yeah, but that billions and billions, that's fine. Use whatever. But all that's here, not only could have, but if it happened the way you're saying, it would have happened trillions of times. Eternity. Eternity. They want to say matter is eternal God isn't. Or matter, here's one, they, they, they really came up with something a few years ago. They climbed the mountain and they studied and they got the big scopes and they shared information and they come down. The universe sprang forth like this and went out. And the theologian said, welcome to the party. We've been here for thousands of years. Glad you're finally on board. Yes, it went out when God spoke. No, we figured something out. It's, it's doing this. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've been saying that for a long, long time. You figured something out, though. That's good. Keep digging. And if matter is eternal and we evolve biologically, you know, why didn't we save the charts and diagrams? Really? If we were that smart, surely we would save the charts and diagrams to show how the eye works in the circulatory system. 100,000 miles of blood vessels and the respiratory and how we couldn't there was no such a thing as an eye but we invented we thought up i want to see what does that mean i don't know but i want to do it and we're never going to do it but millions of years from now we're going to create and just keep adding a little bit and a little bit and eventually we're going to see and we're going to smell and we're going to taste and we're going to reproduce in fact we need to start that one right now we better hurry because we're dying and we need to reproduce okay how are we going to do it i don't know how are we talking to each other i don't know but you're, you're female and I'm a male and let's do this thing. It's like, okay. That's great faith. I, don't, I, I, just don't, I cannot summon enough faith to believe that. It speaks of his existence, his eternality, his power. Go look outside, it's his power. It's his wisdom. Lord, the moon, our tides. It's just washing everything, that salt water. 
His involvement. God, you really are involved. You really do care. God's kindness. You give us these pleasures and this beauty. God, your very faithfulness. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I know this for a fact. The sun will be there tomorrow. I might not. The sun will be there tomorrow. I promise you. You may not see it tomorrow, but the sun will be there tomorrow because God's faithful. You see that list? Let's keep it up there a second. If you were to get a piece of paper, I gave you a pad and pencil, colored pencils, and I said, draw existence. Draw a picture of existence. Um, draw eternality. I, uh, draw power. Draw wisdom. Draw me a picture of wisdom. Draw me a picture of involvement. Draw me a picture of kindness. And you say, well, I, I got a little child, and they're doing something nice to the other. Okay, that's what we come up with. Draw faithfulness. You say, I, I can't really draw because they're invisible attributes of God which are clearly seen in what he's made so that we are without excuse. But unfortunately, our third point today, the denial of God's authority. The denial of God's authority. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to need to go quicker, so I'm going to talk a little faster. Here's what should have happened. Here's what should have happened. Mankind should have recognized God's existence, God's person, and God's authority. Mankind should have realized, God, not only are you real, but you're all those descriptions that we just wrote about, and you made me. You made us, and I'm a made thing, and people make things for a reason. So I am made apparently to make you happy, and I'm made to make you look good. Even if they don't have the shorter catechism that says the chief end of man is to glorify God, and even if they don't have the Bible, mankind, even following Adam, and when Adam's, you know, great, 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 great grandkids, they don't have this audible relationship with God, and all they have are old stories. Mankind still should have gone out and looked around and have an innate knowledge of God. God, you're real, you're a person, you're the authority, you're the creator, you made me, you made me for a reason, and thank you for that and that and that and that because you don't know it to us but I want to say thank you for all of that and I'm reporting for duty because I'm just I want you to come in my life on a daily basis and just have your disruptive way I'm made for that that's what we should have did that's what we should have done you know what happened what actually happened is man recognized God his existence his person his authority but we have two sins of omission number one refuse to glorify God for who he is I'm not going to glorify you for who you are I don't like some things about you and furthermore refuse to give thanks to God for what he gives us so that's two things they didn't do but then it gets even worse not only did mankind not do some things but we have sins of commission here it comes not wanting to be accountable to his maker I don't like to think that way mankind decides I still believe in you but I'm going to speculate about you this is dangerous ground. I'm going to evaluate how you're doing, God. I'm going to critique you. I'm going to set myself up. Here's what man does. If we believe in God, then it's our role to set ourselves up as God's judge and tell him how he's doing or not doing. And if he doesn't do a good enough job that matches what we think he should be doing, well, then I'm just not going to believe in you, that version of you. And once that happened, 
mankind becomes darkened in his mind. I believe there's a mixture. We darken our own mind, and God helps darken man's mind and his heart, the heart meaning the core of his being, so that what ends up happening is mankind, once he's darkened, all of a sudden he looks at his academic achievements, and it just makes him swell with pride. And he continues in his foolishness, which usually shows up in his religion. We could hit a lot. But I read verse 21. Look at it again. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Can I share one, one quick thought? Christians, you say, I'm a Christian. I'm, I, know I'm on my, I know I'm on my way to heaven. Listen carefully. Just to say blunt, this is how we talk in Western North Carolina. It bothers God when people are unthankful. That's what I learned this week. It bothers God when people are not thankful. It bothers God when you are not thankful. It bothers God. What not you do in your mind a pie chart right now? Ready? Pie chart. There's only two colors. There's only two letters. One is a T and one is a C. Whatever color you want to get. You want to make the T blue and you want to make the C red? Do a pie chart. How much of your time do you spend literally giving thanks for the things you already have, T, blue, versus how much of your time do you spend thinking about what you do not have? But really, do one in your mind versus this last week. Do a pie chart of your time. And again, we're only going to spend these, how many minutes were spent on these two things. How much of your time did you section out to literally not only feel gratitude, but Lord, I'm going to say thank you for the things you've already given me versus being covetous toward the things that God has not. I'm not saying it's, it's not right. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God for things, but I'm saying how many times are we covetous or wanting more and more and more without actually saying thank you for the things that God has already given to us. It bothers God when we are not thankful. That's a dangerous path, a very dangerous path. You may say this is a little extreme, but I'm going to offer this. To be unthankful is a step toward total denial of God. You say, man, that is kind of extreme. I'm going to propose to you that one of the ways it starts, you end up totally denying God, is you begin by not being thankful. I cannot imagine a thankful person who's regular on a regular basis, literally who sets aside time in their day where they just stop and say, God, thank you for that and that and that and that. That person will never end up having, verse 24 to 32, be prevalent in their lives. They just won't. The denial of God's authority. What happens in verse 21 to 23? One of the things I found is a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, and mankind always has a little knowledge, just a little. A little knowledge is a very dangerous thing. What happens is we are always prone to thoughts of pride, and if you heard that and say, well, if I'm anything, I'm not prideful. I'm very thankful. That's not one of my problems. Okay. You underestimate yourself. Last week, Deanna and I were... uh, just did a little spur of the moment over, overnight trip down to Atlanta and we went to on Saturday a museum that I would strongly suggest you go to it's called the Bodies Exhibit at Atlantic Station neat little place a lot of shops and things like that 
go to the bodies exhibit. If you're a couple and you don't want to do the little audio set, it'll cost you about $50. If you want to pay an extra five bucks a piece or for one of you have five, $5, you get the little handheld and you get to hit the button and it'll tell you something. Anybody in here ever been to the bodies exhibit? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, you ought to go. Again, it'll cost you 50 bucks. You want to get something to eat. So set aside about seven hours, two hours down, two hours back, two, two hours to do it, about an hour to sit down and eat on a Saturday. Go do it if you can. You say, what is it, like a bunch of skeletons and stuff? Well, it is some skeletons, but you don't have to worry if they're at the right scale because these aren't like man-made. These are God-made. These are real people's bodies. I think they are from China because I don't think we were legally allowed to do what they do, but they're on exhibit. They're borrowed on exhibition, and they're down there in Atlanta, and you ought to go look because in there you can see the skeletal system, you see a whole circulatory system and nothing else, just literally a real human being's whole skeletal system. You see bones and they kind of cut the head up and up here's this and you see a real brain in there and there's real jaw and there's real teeth and there's, I think the eyes are all fake. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're preserved too. But I mean, you're looking inside the, so that's what a diaphragm is. Oh, so that goes, you know, Oh, I now can picture how that happens. Oh, okay, that's what the singers say. You're supposed to, oh, got it. Oh, wow, I can't do it, but that is neat. So that separates this guts and stuff from the even a little bit more important organs up top. Wow, there's a heart and a liver and, and, a, and a kidneys and, and there's the bladder and, and there's the, the, the large intestine and the colon. is like, man, that stuff kind of, how does all that fit in this little skinny Chinese man? So why are you talking about this? Some people will see that, and here's literally what they think. Wow, how neat, how interesting, how smart we are that we can explain how all that works. <laughs> yeah, that does, wow, we are really smart. We can tell how it works. And then there's others of us that have this response. Wow. How fearfully and wonderfully we've been made. Pride. A little bit of knowledge causes pride. Pride in man almost always causes a religious spiral downward. What Romans 1 says matches what the Bible says. Here's what you find in Scripture. Here's what the Bible gives us. Here's the layout. What, what happened spiritually? Mankind began as a monotheist, believing not only in one God, but the one true God. Adam and Eve have a relationship with God, but time keeps on moving. What ends up happening? They're still monotheistic, but it's false monotheism. It's a different version of God than the real God. So they began as monotheistic, they continue as false monotheism, worshiping the wrong God. That keeps spiraling downward so that you end up seeing what happens in verse number 23. Polytheism. We believe in many gods, which though not necessarily stated here, the next progression, which is frankly where we're at today, is what? Whichism. Let me go over again. Monotheism, the one true God. False monotheism, one God, but a false version of him. Polytheism, many gods. And now where are we at? Probably a good third or 40% of our country is pretty much here. Atheism. No God. I don't want to worship any God. Do you know the Bible says the very beginning layer of wisdom? Verse number 22. Profess, claiming to be wise. 
They became fools. The very beginning layer of wisdom is a healthy fear of God. God, I believe you exist and you're a powerful being and you have sway over my life. I'm accountable to you. That's the very beginning. I'm going to tell you something. Once a person pushes that aside, they no longer, they have no true wisdom. And if you follow them and their teachings, you are following foolishness. Don't follow, well, they're not a Christian, but I'm going I'm to raise my kids the way this person says to raise their kids. You're following a fool. Don't do it. Read your Bible. It'll tell you how to raise your kids. Well, I sound like one of those 1970s preachers today, don't I? I just need to learn how to kind of wind suck, and Danny didn't know what wind sucking is. We talked about that. And kind of a hacker, you know, glory to God. Bless the Lord. I got to start doing that. That would kind of match my, my content today. I know some of you are thinking, man, this guy, man, when's he going to quit? Why are we in Romans? This isn't any fun. You say, Jeff, you had me all the way up to where you're trying to imply that they're not smart. I didn't say they're not smart. I said they have no wisdom. They may be really high. They may have an IQ 170s, 180s, but they have no wisdom. They come to the conclusion there is no God. Because usually that leads to one of two extremes. Idolatry, atheism. Now we're sophisticated. This is 2017. This is United States. This is not, I don't want to say any other country in Southern Asia, <clears throat> where they average eight gods per home. But we hear this one say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Polytheism, idolatry, that's stupid. That's so dumb. Right. It absolutely is. I, I agree. It's very foolish. Listen to what the Bible says happened on Paul's missionary journey. I believe it's his third missionary journey. Look at Acts. It'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 19. Paul's in Ephesus, a large city, 300,000 people. It's springtime. They're getting ready to have a big festival like they have every year. But there's a problem. Look at verse 23 of Acts 19. About that time, there arose no little disturbance, a big disturbance. There arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is Christianity. That was his nickname for it back then. What's going on in Ephesus? For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, also known as Diana of the Ephesians. That's their goddess. That's what they're well known for. There's this huge, elaborate, I believe maybe one of the ancient wonders of the world was the temple to the goddess Diana in Ephesus. So here's this man named Demetrius, who's a silversmith. He makes silver shrines of Artemis. That's her other name. Brought no little business to the craftsmen. Man, they bring a lot of business to him. These he gathered together. So he gets all the craftsmen together, and Demetrius with them, with the workmen in similar trade. He does silver. Maybe you do gold or you do wood or you cut yours out of stone. We all have the same business. And he says to them, watch this, it's urgent. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. We're wealthy. This is how we get our wealth. We sell these things. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul... You heard this guy, this Paul, he's persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Guys, what are we going to do? Oh, no. Did you catch what he said? Don't you wish you were there? What did you say? What are you all riled up about? Paul's killing our business. Okay, I got that. How is he doing it? Verse number 26. He's going around saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Yes. Hey, 
Demetrius, is there anything more, more self-evident than the fact that we're making these things? They are not God's. They are not God's. We made them. We are God over the things that we make. We make them how we want them. I get it. It's hitting our pocketbook, and maybe we need to kill the guy. But we know these aren't God's. How foolish. Now we hear that and we say, yeah, that's kind of stupid. I'm saying this for this reason. Please catch what I'm about to say. There was a day when the smartest people, they were the smartest of their day, they believed in polytheism. Many gods and idolatry. And they ascribed relevance to what they make. We hear that today and say, that's silly. I'm just telling you, there was a time when the smartest people of their time thought that's where it's at. Israel no doubt felt we're doing God a great favor by making this bull. And they probably made it with big rippling muscles and a fierce face because our God just beat Egypt's many gods. And so this God, it's not just making a bull, a calf. God, this represents you. But guys, God's already spoken in the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Can I tell you what that means? Hear what I'm about to say. It's not in your notes. Listen. You know what God's saying in the second commandment? Do not draw supposed pictures of me. Do not make graven, molten, carved out images of me. Do not conjure up mental pictures of me. That, I honestly believe, is what God is saying. Well, I like to picture God this. No, no, no. Listen, the one we're going to make, it's going to be really big. Okay, how big? 200 feet. Maybe like the one they got down in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. Okay, yeah, great. God's a lot bigger than that. Our, our idols misrepresent what God is and they give them the wrong impression of what God isn't. Don't do it. Listen to me. Don't try to picture. If you have, I picture God and he's an old man with a long white beard and big white hair and he's an old man and he's sitting on a throne. Stop it. God doesn't have a body. Jesus Christ has a body. Jesus is God. We will see him soon enough. But don't be conjuring up images. You're like, yeah, Jeff, that's exactly right. Idolatry, that's foolish. The other extreme is atheism and it's it's what this leads to back in Romans 1. Here's the spiral. You ready? They don't dishonor, they don't honor God because they love sin. They do not give thanks to God. And they convince themselves God doesn't exist. Why? Because I want, here, here's the real reason. I want to be free to kind of create my own meaning in life, my own purpose, what I think the values are. I don't want some being out there telling us what the values and purpose of life is. Here's the only problem. No, it's not the only one. Catch what I'm saying. I've seen this over and over. When life hits, pow, pain comes and loss. It's going to hit all of us, right? Do you know what they do? Who do they get mad at? They get mad at Christians who believe in God. (laughs) And inwardly, they get mad at the God they've supposedly stopped believing in. It's there. It's in there. It's in there the whole time. Idolatry, atheism. Seems to be way apart, but they're really not. Idolatry says, I don't like that version of God, so I'm just going to make a version of a God that I like. I'm going to make one. The atheist says, yeah, I don't like that version of God either, so I'm not going to have a God except, well, I'll kind of be my own God. I like me, so I'll worship 
me. But that is head in the sand theology. The message this morning is this. There is one God. He has revealed himself in your conscience. You were born, left alone, you would believe in this God. You wouldn't know how to be saved, but you would believe in the God. Creation just reinforces it and shows you many invisible attributes about this God. Now, we here in America and you here today, you really have no excuse because you've been given the Word of God. This isn't just the general revelation of God. This is a special revelation of God in His Word. We have His very words. But you know, anybody know the greatest revelation of God? Anybody? What's the greatest? Say, I want to know what God is like. Who should you study? Jesus. Where are you at on the scale of verse 21 and 22? So does it matter, Jeff? Monotheistic, false monotheism, polytheism, atheism, does it really matter? Yes, because verse 18 is real. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? This morning we're going to do a little different. In fact, very different. We're not going to have a come forward. We're not going to have a song. What we're going to have is just a time in a minute. I'll prompt you, and we're going to end the day's service very differently. But I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes. Close your eyes for a second. I want everyone in here right now evaluate yourself. In light of verse 21, the Bible says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give, him, or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Where are you at on that scale? Literally, I want, I want everyone to kind of hear my words. Number one, do you acknowledge God? Do you acknowledge? If you hear that, say, yes, I do acknowledge there's a God. Number two, do you seek to glorify God? Can you honestly say, well, okay, I do see he's my creator. I'm a created thing. Yes, I, I, I know I need to glorify God with my life. Here's the big question. If you say, yes, I acknowledge him and I want to honor him, I know I need to honor him with, with my life, here it is. Have you acknowledged the gift of His Son? Have you acknowledged the gift of God's Son? Because if you reject Jesus, the very gift of God to you, and you don't say thank you for Him, you reject Him, you will be a recipient of God's wrath. You will receive God's wrath. Christian, right now where you see it, I have two or three main questions number one did you acknowledge God in your week this week and how you lived your life yes or no yes or no did your life I'm not saying perfectly but in the whole did your life make God look good this week or if someone worked beside you all week would they come to a conclusion I, I don't even know if they're a Christian or not did your life make God look good if you're sitting there saying well no confess repent Christian bring up that pie chart one more time how's your thankfulness God it, it, it bothers God when we're not thankful so I want to ask you be, you're the only one that knows it's your inner thoughts do you covet more than you give thanks for If so, is it time to confess breaking the 10th commandment? Do you need right now, say, talk to God, block me out right after this, say, God, help me to set aside time this week at the start of my day, start, not the end, at the start of my day, where I say thank you for 
for several things and not the same ones day after day. God, I have been so thankless and that bothers you. Father, would you lead us now into our prayer time?